Very good to see you, uh, all of you through the camera. I can see you. It's amazing. Uh, until, uh, until like last week, we didn't know we were going to be able to meet in person. And so we just want to let you know really briefly before we dive into this morning's message. Next week, we'll have more details on the back end. But we're going to gather in person for Easter Sunday. Woo! Very excited. I know some of you are maybe clapping, uh, but really thankful for that. I'll give you more details at the end. Uh, today, we are continuing in our, our series called Rescue, and as Christina so beautifully brought that into introduction, I, um, I want us today to just remember, obviously, Easter tells us Jesus is alive, and, and so he wants us, because he's alive, continuously uh, to encounter him in fresh ways, new ways, uh, true ways, and so... As we go into this familiar passage, especially if you grew up in the church, you know Jesus comes in riding uh, in on a donkey and the, and the kids come out and everyone was waving and singing hallelujah and palm branches and they're throwing their, their, their cloaks and, and, and prayer shawls down and making a red carpet. Um, I, I want us to suspend for a moment what we know about this passage and I want you just to stop and I want you to, with me as we go through it, imagine yourself into this true event. I, wa I want us to just stop and be present with Jesus on, on this real day in Jerusalem, coming down the Mount of Olives together. And so uh, to do that, I, I, I really want you to just say to him, you have my heart this morning. And so... As we get into it, I have one prayer. So we used to, you know, do this back in the theater days. I would have you pray, and then I would pray. So we're going to do that this morning. Here's the, here's the simple prayer I want to ask you to pray before I do. It's this. Jesus, what do you want me to see about you in this passage? What do you want me to see about you on this day? So, so go ahead and you pray that, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Yeah, Jesus, our heart is that we would see what you want us to see this morning. And, and that we would see specifically as we're seeing how you are coming in, what you're proclaiming. What did you want the, the all of Jerusalem to see when you were coming in? I pray we would see that. And I, and I pray in seeing that we would become, be formed. As Paul says, as we behold the glory of God, we are transformed. And, and so I pray that this seeing would be an encounter. That we would feel as though your hand was in ours. And so, Lord, I don't know what distractions are around us. I don't know. But I just, I pray you would be able to just give us an ability to see your face. And so, Father, I also just want to pray that as you pour out your love, that we would see and encounter your love. And Lord, we do want to just pause here and lift up all those yesterday who were a part of or seen or were 
hit by the tragedy in Lynn Valley, we ask that you would come and be present in every mind, in every heart, in every image, in every pain. We ask that the comfort of your love and grace would be with every family that was majorly impacted. And we ask that your grace and love would be with the person. And we bless Lynn Valley with peace, the peace from God. I just pray that we would see you today and that you'd use Holy Spirit, the gift you've given me, so that any transformation would just be because of your, your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we're going to be all over the Bible today, uh, but we're going to root ourselves in the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me, open it up to John chapter 12. John 12. Uh, all four Gospels have this account. It is that important. It is that central to the, the week, the Passion Week of Jesus. And so we're going to look specifically at what John saw, what John emphasized. And so to do that, we're going to start looking at it from verse 9. So we'll just dive right in. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there. So where is he? He is just on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Everyone's traveling to Jerusalem, just so you know, for the Passover. So when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was just on the outskirts of Jerusalem, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests, these are the religious Jewish leaders, made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Now this tells us a lot about the entry as we are about to look at Jesus together. It shows us the mindset of the large crowd. They're, they're wanting to see Lazarus risen. Because if, if they see him, if they, they've heard it, some of them were eyewitnesses, you'll see in a moment. If they see Lazarus, they know it's all true. The Messiah has power over death. Their hopes are going to be realized. there's There's a kind of anticipation in the atmosphere. Verse 12, now the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, coming into Jerusalem. So not only do we have this large crowd coming from and behind Jesus, we have this huge crowd in Jerusalem, and they're all hearing, here he comes. Um, the, the, the news of him coming down the Mount of the Olives, it spreads through the alleys, the market booths, the temple, all around. There's an energy and excitement and passion in the atmosphere. So they, verse 13, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, imagine a whole city crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it just as it is written, fear not daughter of Zion, behold, look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's called his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, 
Then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. Like we saw it. It's true. We saw it. He was the, we, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look. The world has gone after him. All right, so with that base text in our mind, let me just give us a framework. We're, uh, you know, seven days from resurrection, five days from crucifixion. Um, and in the event, this story, Jesus knows that. They don't know that yet. But here's what they know, and, and they know he can raise the dead. Like, like he's been present, he's been healing teaching about the kingdom he's been delivering them from every aspect of sin and and the enemy and demonic kingdom Uh, he has a kind of authority that's just unmeasurable like it's just they always ask where does he get this authority authority kings have authority Um, and they're hearing over and over the the kingdom of heaven is like this it's like this and what stood out to me as I read uh, John this year was was really the way uh, Jesus agrees with this entry. What we need to see is up until this point, in many of the gospel stories, we have uh, Jesus sharing his signs, yes, publicly, but he's always been and, and really good at escaping whenever they wanted to make him king. The, the crowds were like, let's make him king now. And he's like, well, it's not time yet. And he's, he would somehow just escape these massive crowds. Um, but, but here at this point, He embraces. He says, I am your king. He he comes in so much so that in Luke's gospel, the Pharisees, you can imagine them just run up to him and go, what are you doing? Rebuke your disciples. They're they're singing a Messiah king psalm, Psalm 118. We'll get to in a second. You got to rebuke them because they're saying you're king, you're God's Messiah. And do you remember what Jesus said? It'll be right here on the screen. He says this, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You, you talk about, I am, there's no more humble, like, uh, you know, guys, it's okay. Let me just go to the cross. No, it's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna conquer it all. I am your king. I'm the world's king. In, in all four gospels, they literally are, are crying out, bring the victory, so good. It's so powerful. The whole, like, they're just, you know, in, in, in the reality of the universe, in the kingdom, in the unseen realm, the second heaven, third heaven, there has never felt such a strong presence in God and then in this moment. So, if you like taking notes um, or you appreciate an outline, I, I want us to look at Jesus in two lights this morning as we enter in the story, I want, to, I want to show you the strength of Jesus and the stance of Jesus. So as we come into this Palm Sunday, may we see the strength of Jesus and the stance of Jesus. So let's enter into the strength. When I say strength, just so here's where we're going to go. I, I want us to imagine ourselves into this real event. So I want you to first imagine for a moment being one of of the disciples, if it helps, close your eyes. So close your eyes if it really helps. I want you to imagine being one of the disciples, okay? There's been no one in your life so strong. So you've been with Jesus, 
No one in your life has been so strong. Jesus has not once been undone or nervous about the Pharisees. Remember, you're one of his disciples. His calm presence is so strong. He's the most humble and yet the most sturdy. You've, you've seen crowds fed. You've, you've actually given them the, the bread and the, the fish. You, you've seen storms relax. You've seen demons flee. Our rescue on Easter begins with his strength and not ours. So as a disciple, I want you to imagine you're coming into Jerusalem. His ministry you've watched has gathered hundreds and hundreds and thousands. Now you can actually hear what what scholars say is about 180,000 people in, in Jerusalem. You can hear the noise of a city. And imagine you're walking next to Jesus and the other disciples in, this, in the crisp of this morning. And, and all of a sudden you begin to see over the hilly plains, Jerusalem is just packed. When you see Jesus' face, so imagine that you look at him. As he's descending the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem, what do you see? What are you feeling as his disciple? Now, I want us to imagine being one of the visitors, but let me give you some visuals. So here's here's some pictures of um, Jerusalem today. You can see the outline of the temple. Here's what scholars have done to kind of show you what it would have more than likely looked like in Jesus' time. Here is the Mount of Olives today. The kind of, you can see the hill structure. All right, so back to the story. Imagine, okay, you're one of the visitors or, or even residents in Jerusalem. Okay, so if it helps again, close your eyes. As you look up, to see, you see, and all of a sudden you feel, and you, you hear a commotion and excitement. All of a sudden, you're like something just shifted in the entire atmosphere in Jerusalem. There's an energy. There's a, there's a hope. There's a, there's a happiness. People are stumbling over stuff, grabbing their, 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 their uh, cloaks. And, and then you look up. You get a glimpse of where everyone's looking, and you see Jesus descending from the Mount of Olives. And you're like, whoa. You just feel this frantic leap of joy. And imagine, you know, some are shouting Hosanna, and you're like, no way, that's, we, we've done this song, we've done this song, I know this song, the king is coming, and you know it's Jesus. In Matthew and Luke, they grab their cloaks, and they, and they throw them down like a red carpet, and, and palm branches were a symbol of victory, and, and, and what's amazing about this red carpet treatment, again, I need to show you this from the Bible, is that this was what they did with kings. So second, kings. 9.13 says this, Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So, so let me, the strength of Jesus in this moment is off the charts. Jesus is so strong here. He's so real. He's so powerful in this entry like there's no other rivals that will stand. There's no other attempts of winning. 
Imagine excitement when the word sweeps through to you. How excited you would be. How, how you would feel, man, Jesus is the king I want. Jesus is the king I've always wanted in a king. How much happiness, how much hope, he's strong, he's gonna win. There wasn't a fear when you were with him. You never had a fear when you were with him. All other kings, you, you, would, you would go, I don't know, I don't, but when you were with this king, you didn't fear, there, there, was, there was no task so there was, there was nothing big. Jesus was never nervous. He never got worried about a single situation. There was no one more powerful in their teaching, no one more stronger. And so you're like, yes, Hosanna, come on, palm branch, cloak, pumped. So here's what you know growing up um, in Jerusalem. You know that Psalm 118 is, is a salvation psalm. Of a king. So let me show you some verses that you would have known. In verse 5, you would have known, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In verse 10, all nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. You can read this later, but let me highlight a few more. In verse 13 to 14, we read, I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my, what's our word? Strength. And my song, he has become my salvation. One translation says, Lord, you are my true strength and my glory song, my champion, my savior, my loud shouts of victory will echo throughout the land. That's what's happening. So it's happening. And then in verse 25, they sing Hosanna. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. The strength of Jesus on this day in the hearts of his people was, was so powerful. Do you see it? You have a rescue. You have a rescue. I have a rescue. I want you to think about that. A king, strong. Jesus of Nazareth. I want you to say this out loud. I have a rescue. Go ahead, band. <laughs> yes. Can I, can I ask you before we jump back? Do you believe that? Close your eyes for a moment too, but when you see him, is there a kind of strength in his presence? No, like, like really look at him. Like he's never had a nervous day. Yes, yes, he was human. He experienced all the stuff we do. But with the father doing his work, 
And, and they're not unaware of tragedy. They're, they're, they're under the greatest oppressor I think there was in the day, Rome. But something was going to hold with him. I want you to go back to the scene for, for a moment with me. Um, and, I, and I want you to imagine he, Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives. The crowds are rushing out. You get wind. And so you don't have your cloak with you or anything to throw at and under Jesus, but you can't wait, you want to, so you rush back into your, your little home because you grab your cloak, you're just so excited to be in front of Jesus, you just wanna see his smile, you wanna see his strength, you wanna just join in together. But imagine in that moment, um, you, in grabbing your cloak, you, you accidentally break something that has been so preserved, it's so valuable. In your, in your family lineage, and you break it. And you're aware in the moment of breaking that really important, valuable thing of, of one of the elders, uh, one of your, you know, family members. And you're expecting to see their just face of disappointment and shock and, and just stern critique. And instead, you look up and you see in their face a smirk of hope. And you look at them and they look at you and they say, it's okay. Like the king is here. It's all gonna be fine now. Just go, go. I was, I was thinking about that passage and that thought came into my mind while I was studying. And I thought, why would that come into my mind? And I, I felt in that moment that was the atmosphere on Palm Sunday. The other stuff doesn't matter. That, that was actually, if, if this Jesus is riding in and actually receiving Psalm 118 and everyone was singing Hosanna, what was ever happening in here didn't matter anymore because the king was here. The atmosphere on Palm Sunday is, is get more excited about what you see God is doing in Jesus than what's wrong out here. There was so much hope. So I want you to now look with me at the stance. In other words, what did Jesus want them to see? What, what was Jesus saying? So we see him strong. But what, did, what, was, what was he like? Here's what I want you to see. Well, the answer to that, at least just in, in our, when we look at the Gospel of John, is in verse 14 and 15. Verse 14, it says, And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it. Watch this phrase, just as it is written. So he has something in mind. He's not, you know, needing transportation. He, he's not tired of his walk. He has, he's doing something very, very purposefully. And John, through the Spirit, tells him exactly what he was fulfilling on that day, which goes to Zechariah, where Zechariah says, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So when they saw him coming in on a donkey and proclaiming messianic psalms, that's what he wanted them to see. Right? Many of us have heard, maybe you grew up in the church, where like, you know, the thought was, well, Jesus 
was just, he was trying to show his humility in coming in on a donkey. It was, it was a picture of the kind of salvation. That's not what Zechariah actually has in mind. Biblically, donkeys served as a mount for people of high standing, nobility, royalty, kings, prophets. In the ancient Near East, it was, it was the mount of princes. You, you can read this in Judges 5, Judges 10. It says, and he had 30 sons who's, who rode on 30 donkeys. Here's one in 2 Samuel 16. The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. The bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. That's what you need right before you're about to faint. Um, a rider of high standing would sit on a donkey. Here's what one scholar writes. The donkey is, so to speak, the Mercedes-Benz of the biblical world. The picture of Jesus himself finding a donkey, and if you read the stories in the other gospels, they actually go and get it and bring it to him, um, is his choice animal because he wants to symbolically share with the world what you're about to see with me is what I want you to see. I'm your king. So he's not at all correcting or rebuking the praise of the crowds. He, again, is accepting it. He's agreeing with them. This is your king. He, his stance. So what's his stance? This is a kingly move. He's saying, rescue is here. I am the Messiah. He is with me, it's in me, it's all about me. All I'm gonna do is going to be applied to you. I am your king. Everything you've longed for, the entire Old Testament is fulfilling and is fulfilled in me. I am now here to rescue you. If you read Zechariah 9, let me just show you some of this. In verse eight though, before we get to nine, he says, the king says, I will encamp at my temple. You know where Jesus goes next? Temple. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now I am keeping watch. And then in verse 9 we read this. It will be on the screen. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Woo! Right? People think I make that noise a lot in sermons. So woo! Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous. And what does he have? Having salvation is he humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the fool of a donkey. It's no, so let me say this, it's not the donkey that makes him humble. It's actually who he is, what this king would be like. One translation says he is gentle and riding on a donkey. Kids can run up to this king. Kids wouldn't run up to kings. Women would feel seen and joined to him. This king is unlike any other king, but he's still a king. He still has a victory, victory. In verse 10, we read this. He will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken, thereby extending his rule to the ends of the earth. All authority in heaven has been given to me. So Jesus is really clear. The, the stance of Palm Sunday is I'm with you now. Rescue has come. Now, if we look past this week, you know, in, in, into the next days ahead, the, the crowds are hoping for a literal takeover, like Rome to be subdued, their enemy to be broken. And so they have this big anticipation. 
but what they're not going to see until a little bit later, that the enemy wasn't the situation around them, it was the sin within them. Jordan so powerfully and beautifully last week, if you missed that sermon, go listen to it. He, he came to save us from the ruin that would actually take you into 100, 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 180,000 years with Jesus forever. There's a rescue that he sees that we can't even comprehend. He saw the rescue. Let me show you Colossians 1, 13 to 14. He has delivered us, rescue, from the domain of darkness, spiritual bondage, sins, and transferred us to the kingdom. So where's the victory? Watch this. Of his beloved son. It, it, was, a, it was a victory into relational love. A love that they had never actually had within them. And how did this victory come? Who is it in? Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have In whom we have. Okay, so look right at me for a second. Too often, we live the Christian life trying to earn what we already have in relationship. So many of us approach God and we try to earn what we already have in relationship. In whom we have. In whom we have. So, so the way to become like Jesus and the way to receive this victory and have him, this king, be really your victor isn't to look at him and feel, I need to have more. Do you think that on that day when they saw the king, Jesus, coming down, they were like, okay, I got all my works with me, all my stuff. He's gonna, he needs me. He needs me. No. It was, it was, they, there was one job that day, praise and rest and believe. What, what I find so beautiful about this event um, is that in Revelation, you're, you're in the story. You're, you're, you have a, a picture into a, a, a worshiping moment with Jesus in the world. It's, it's such a cool picture. But if you have your Bibles, go to Re- Revelation 7. And I want you to notice Palm Sunday language. So look at Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked and behold... A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with what's in, what's in their hands? Palm branches. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits. Do you know where kings, do you know kings would not sit till the victory was over? Who sits on the throne and to the lamb. White robes. So the king does something that erases all our sins. 
all our guilt, all the guilt of false trust, all the guilt of of all the things we feel when we wake up in the morning and we feel like he doesn't love me today. All of that, all the lies we partner with that he doesn't see, all, all the ways he comes alongside us to be our king. Salvation, it belongs to him. And where is Jesus now in this picture? He's sitting on the throne. Sure, let me ask you this question. What if you started your day beholding your victory? Like before you began into the everyday lists and things, and what if you just began and you beheld your victory? You, you saw Jesus from that place. Like what if you started living from a white robe, not for it. What if you actually began each day from the realm of beloved son, the kingdom of the beloved son? Because that's what you've been transferred into. That's how the father sees you in each day. I don't, I don't know if this describes you, but man, I've observed so many believers, including myself, we, we, we tend to reduce each day to just the simple, you know what, I hope to survive. I, I hope I, just, I can just make it to that glass of Chardonnay and that Netflix show, and I just got to get through my day. And instead of, I have a victory, Jesus, my king who loves me and gave himself up for me, what are we going to do today through you? What of the kingdom victory do you want me to access where I sit with you, Ephesians 2? Instead of seeing my design is to get through the day and I hope this is fine for, you know, and I wonder how Jesus thought of me today and you got that last minute of guilt where you're like, I forgot to read my Bible and I, oh, I just got to, you know, I just got to just shut that voice and shut, turn on my TV and get my wine. What you need to see is, is Jesus plumping next to you and going, I actually really like being with you. When you're ready, let's do the kingdom. I just wonder if some of us need to actually see Jesus strong again and actually see him as king. And I wonder if today your only, your only response is to just to say, Jesus, forgive me for any way that I have settled for surviving instead of partnering with you. And not out of, not out of guilt, because when you see Jesus' face, you see hope, you see love. Let me, let me ask you this question, and this is, you'll only be able to answer this with the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you come and just show and, and give awareness to the subconscious of everyone who's about to hear this question. As you picture Jesus coming into Jerusalem, is there within you a I can trust me with him? That's a really important question. As, as he's coming down, king in your life, can you trust you and trust you with him into his arms? Because when you see he's strong, he's not depressed, he's not fearful, you need to stay there longer. I'm not saying life isn't hard. I'm not saying perseverance is not part of it. 
I'm not saying all that, but I am saying to, to, to have the just survive to get through my day is, is, is a distraction to how he sees you, how he has given you a victory. Sometimes we need to see the king's victory. So as, as we go into this week, and, and we're, we're, we're going to be having grace times with Good Friday and be together Easter Sunday, I just, I want you to grasp and hold on to what he's doing right now in your life, and I want you to ask him, Jesus, what about you do you want me to see this week? Like, just take that into your week. So, so you're, you're not, how do I get through this day? But you're, you're taking with Jesus, what do you want me to see this week? George McDonald, he was, uh, we'll close with this, so band, you can come on up. Uh, George MacDonald was actually a massive influence in the 17th, I think 17th century, maybe 18th, I might have got that wrong, but he actually uh, inspired J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis's writing. And um, on beholding and seeing Jesus, listen to what he writes in a devotional he wrote. This will be on the screen But wherein or what can this glorious peak of faith, so beholding, have to do with the creatures who call themselves Christians, creeping about in the valleys, hardly knowing that there are mountains above them, except that they take offense at and stumble over pebbles washed across their path by glacier streams? I will tell you, We are and remain creeping, stumbling Christians when we look at ourselves and not at Christ. Because we gaze at the marks of our soiled feet and the trail of our defiled garments instead up at the snows of purity. The snows of purity, the white robes, the real way Father God sees you. As you look at Jesus today, some of you are wondering, maybe more subconsciously wondering, again, can I trust him with me? And if you found that hard to answer, that's exactly where he wants you to start. Because if you can't trust you to him, you won't be able to receive his love or see him strong or his stance. You won't see what he sees within you. But here's what you need to learn. You don't have to earn what you already have in relationship. So if that's the lie you're believing, don't partner with it. That lie will come in the form of a feeling, by the way, too. If you feel, I... I have to earn for relationship. This book doesn't say that. By grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift. Gifts gifts are what fathers love to give. God so loved the world that he gave. 
That's love. You actually can't actually be loved if you're unwilling to receive. And so what I've sensed the Father wanted to do is just drop one beautiful droplet of his love in your heart. You don't have to earn what you already have in relationship. You don't have to earn what you already have in him, in whom we have redemption. Do you know where you are? That's actually a really important question. It's really important to know who you are and what Jesus says, but do you know where you are? Ephesians 2.6 tells you where you are. Okay, I'm just gonna tell you, you gotta look it up. So Father, just thank you for this time. I pray that that gift of love would just grow. It would, it would release out anything that's not from you in Jesus' name. Give us power to see the strength and stance of our Jesus. In your name, amen.